0: This morning we have a, uh, a privilege of hearing from Scott Polander. Uh, Scott, well, actually, let me start with a little quiz for you guys, all right? Let me start with a little quiz. Many of you have heard of Billy Graham and the Billy Graham crusade. They, they go around and they share the good news of Christ with people. Um, so here's a here's a question for you, and don't answer out loud. You can answer in your head. Tell yourself you're right. Um What did Billy Graham Crusade was the most resistant city in America to have them come and share the good news of Christ? And it's the same city that they said was the least fruitful, the most difficult city to hold a crusade. Second question, same city. What city did D.L. Moody call the uh, Evangelical Graveyard? because he had sent so many missionaries there, and they returned home defeated with the tail between their legs. The answer to this is Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Milwaukee, Wisconsin is a place that uh, is often resistant to the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a very religious city, but resistant to, go- to the good news of Christ. And Scott uh, is following a calling from God to go and plant a church there in downtown Milwaukee on the east side of town. Some of you may know what that means. I don't. Milwaukee is just one big thing for me. but on the east side of Milwaukee he's planting. And so uh, as you hear about this here, Scott, this morning, maybe God would move you to help him. Uh, you know this is a scratch start. There's not a church sending him necessarily. Uh, he has to raise a lot of support financially. Also, he has to network with a lot of people. And so maybe there's folks in Milwaukee that you know that could help Scott and you could connect him. That would be wonderful. Uh, Maybe God has blessed you financially and you can help him get off his feet the first three years of the ministry. That's what he's trying to raise support for. Highly encourage you to pray about it and consider it. Uh, Scott's contact information is all in the bulletin on the the third uh, column. Um, also there is information at the table on the back a nice little brochure if you're interested in finding out more so i invite scott to come on up and he will be uh, teaching us this morning from psalm 127 on page 518 of the red bible so thank you scott
1: well it's great to be here this morning I've known Dan for a while now, but maybe a year and a half or so, and Dan's been a huge encouragement to me. And I've actually met a few of you before this weekend, and Jacob's well is going to be a great partner in the gospel. You know, in the early years of planting a church, you've been along this road already, but um, just the encouragement of fellowship with you. I think we're going to be in close contact, so it's great to be here. And I was actually able to come up for the men's retreat and be up here the last few days, so I've gotten to know a few of you a lot better. And the retreat, um, I mean, the talks were great, but we also had great fellowship. I thought the discussions in our in our groups were awesome, and the broom ball. I woke up this morning sore, which I'm sure a few of you did, <laughs> but um, standing in the kitchen, and I noticed, you know, I got parts that I usually don't notice, and just, uh, so I'm sore this morning, but... Um, Just appreciate the invitation to come up for the men's retreat, but also to open God's word with you this morning. So let's start by reading um, Psalm 127, and like Dan said, it's on page 518 in the Red Bible. Okay, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain unless the lord watches over the city the watchman stays awake in vain it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep behold children are a heritage from the lord the fruit of the womb a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. So please pray with me. Father, your words are words of life. And as James says, your word is able to save. And so we thank you. We thank you for... um, your word and we thank you for this particular psalm and um, father i pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and that father through hearing and seeing um, we would know the abundant life that is offered in jesus so please be with us um, as we listen to you we pray this in jesus name amen so psalm 127 if you if you have been in the church a while you've probably heard of psalm 127 you've probably heard it you maybe have never heard it preached i don't think i had ever heard it preached but it's become my favorite psalm because generally whatever i'm preaching next ends up being my favorite just because you know god's word when you understand it um, and and study it 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 just it makes an impression it challenges you Um, but i don't know what your first impression of this psalm is, but I'm wondering if it might sound to you a little bit like the American dream. You know, I don't know. Maybe it sounds a little bit like wholesome, middle-class values a little bit. I mean, it, it has houses and children, and, you know, children, children are a very good thing. It's, I don't think it's any coincidence that Christians often have the largest families. You don't see many atheists with, say, four children. You know, so it's not a coincidence. Um, And houses, um, you know, you need if you're going to have children, you need a you need a shelter that they can live in. So houses are a good thing. We learned this weekend the men were told that uh, a man's house is his castle. So houses are a good thing. But houses and children. A lot of this does it sound a little bit like just like wholesome middle-class family values. I mean, it has everything it seems like in this psalm, except perhaps the white picket fence and the dog in the yard. So I, I don't know what your first impression is of it. But this psalm explains something that I think is far more and far different than middle-class values. From it, It's far different than the American dream. And basically, it's going to answer the question, what on earth... Is God doing? And I think it's going to actually help us understand something pretty important how not to waste our lives. So, as we look at Psalm 127, there are a couple things that are going to help us get to the heart of the psalm. And it's something, you know, we know this every week, but the first thing to remember is that when we look at an Old Testament passage, the true meaning of it, um, we have to understand its relation to the the person and work of jesus if we're going to understand this psalm and this psalm applies to all of us but it does not apply to us apart from jesus and jesus work for us apart from fulfillment in jesus so in order to understand this psalm and how it's fulfilled in jesus we're going to look at a couple things and the first thing we're going to just look at is the feel of the psalm it's kind of the first first impression but What what is the basic feel of the psalm? And then after that, we're gonna look at a couple key words that I think are really important. And these key words have multiple meanings, so it's kind of a play on words, but um, it's kind of a play on words of the most serious kind. And the the play on words, the the words with multiple meanings that we're gonna look at are offspring and, and children. So, both of these are meaningful, and they're going to reveal to us. They're, they're going to apply it to the Christian life. How does it apply to us? How does what, what is God building, and what are his followers building? So, the first point, just the attitude of the psalm. And, first of all, the, the psalm was written by Solomon. David, his father, wrote 73 psalms in all, and Moses wrote just two psalms, and then if, if you look at the headings in the Psalms, Asaph and Korah wrote, you know, a few of them as well. But Solomon wrote only two Psalms. He wrote Psalm 72 and then this Psalm, Psalm 127. And my wife teaches sixth grade English. And she, she teaches reading and writing. And she teaches her sixth graders uh, when she's teaching them poetry that poetry, the way that it works is it it impresses things on the mind in order to affect the heart. And biblical poetry actually works very similarly. It impresses things on the mind to affect the heart, but actually in order that the, the will will be moved. And so I think we all know that a Christianity that lacks understanding... You know, it really can not affect the heart that deeply, but we also want our minds, our understanding to affect our hearts so that our will actually is moved. And that is what this psalm, which is poetry, is doing. And I don't know if you picked up just the feel of it, but one of the first things is this psalm almost has the feel of the book of Ecclesiastes, which if you know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote it, and it has this repetition of vanity Vanity, you know, life is vain, uh, lived apart from God. And if you look at the first few verses again with me, um, just notice the repetition of vanity and anxious toil. It really has that feel of Ecclesiastes. So, verse 1 Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. So one of the first thing that stands out is we're meant to feel uh, the vanity of life lived apart from God. The helplessness of doing anything uh, where you just stick God in the corner and kind of live your life on your own and God's kind of a a Sunday thing or an afterthought. Um, Jesus actually says, apart from me... You can do nothing, and and that's what we're supposed to feel as uh, Christians. We're supposed to actually feel that, you know, we walk through life with God, and and we don't live life separately. That would be, um, it would be vanity. It would be living life in vain. But with God, when we live life with God, we can actually sleep at night and we can rest because we know at the end of. The work they are, our Heavenly Father loves us and is with us. That everything is in His hands. So we're not to work in vain. And we're not to be anxious about what we do. But we're actually to trust God and not be anxious of life. And we just rest. We trust God and rest in in His hands. And that's the general feel of this passage. That's the general feel. I know that's real vague talking about the feel of it. But what action... What action in particular is Solomon speaking of here? Yes, we're to, we're to trust God, but what are we trusting him to do, according to, to this psalm? What are we trusting him to build? And this passage is actually very specific. So point number two is that God is building a house, and that goes along with verse two. God is building a city, and really house and city are are very similar. Um in in the scriptures so it's the same type of idea but we're going to look closely at house now when i first read this psalm it was clear that building a house was being emphasized especially in verse one Um, it says unless the lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain and at first i thought you know house pretty much meant anything we do for example Um, Unless the Lord passes the test, the student studies in vain. Or unless the Lord builds the small business, the small business owner or the employees labor in vain. Or I have a friend who works at HGTV, and the HGTV version might be something like, Unless the Lord flips the house, the flippers labor in vain. And, and if you ever watch any of these shows on flipping, you know the flippers usually do labor in vain. Um, but while it's true that, that we have to rely on God for everything that we do, I mean, that, that is definitely a piece of godly wisdom that we can glean from this psalm. But house has a more specific and a more important meaning in this psalm. There's no doubt that this is a very 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 fine house there is no doubt but it is not just any house of wood and plaster and stone now now if i was to ask you what is white black and red all over what 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 would you say newspaper okay thank you for the sanitized versions i appreciate that um If I was to ask you, what has four legs and flies, what would you say? Go ahead. Okay, the answer is roadkill. Okay, and so the first one is a homophone. Red actually can be spelled in different ways, and it sounds the same and has different meanings. And then flies in the second one is a homonym, it actually is spelled the same and sounds the same, but but one is a verb, you know, the other's a noun and an insect that flies around. So, you know, the, it shows homonyms and homophones. They're great for jokes. I actually love kids' jokes that have these sort of things in them. I think they're hilarious. Um, so they're great for just raw material and humor, but they're also amazing for uh, conveying layered meaning. And that's actually what is going on in Psalm. 127 we have several words that act like these homonyms or homophones and house here has several meanings So look at me with the psalm again And notice the emphasis on the words house and city in verse 1 In verse 2 on rest and in verses 3 through 5 on offspring I'm using the word offspring, but you know it on children because these uh, we're going to see in a moment Um, how important they are to answering the question what is this house that god is building so verse one unless the lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain unless the lord watches over the city the watchman stays awake in vain it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest because children are a heritage from the lord The fruit of the womb of reward, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemy in the gate. And the closer we look at the psalm, we'll see that these themes of house and rest and offspring actually dominate um, this psalm. And so as I was reading, I couldn't help noticing really strong allusions to a couple of the most important chapters in the Old Testament, a couple of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. In, in fact, these these words point, they, they show very strong connections to both um, the promises to Abraham in Genesis and the promise to David in 2 Samuel 7. It's, it's Absolutely unmistakable, the connections here, and these are some of the most important chapters in the Bible, and they'll help us understand this psalm, that it's not just um, middle-class suburban values or the American dream. So in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you, and I will multiply your offspring, this idea of a full quiver of children. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, which sounds very, I mean, that promise is almost exactly what verses 3 through 5 talks about. You have the children and the gates. And so the Abrahamic covenant really has a lot of the same words and definitely the same themes. And the main promises of the Davidic covenant are a house and rest and a name and offsprings. These are the main themes uh, in our psalms. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to look starting at verse 1. It says, Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest, from all his surrounding enemies the king said to nathan the prophet see now i dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of god dwells in a tent and so david wants to build the lord a house he wants to build a temple so nathan says to david go ahead and build god a house and then verse 11 god says actually you want to build me a house but David, I'm going to build you a house. And he says, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So the word house in 2 Samuel 7, it's used in a literal sense. David was going to build God a house. He was going to build him a temple. So David's son Solomon, who wrote the psalm, actually ended up building God a literal house of a physical building, a temple. But house is also used in a figurative sense here where God is going to build David. God is going to build Solomon a house. And house here means dynasty. It means children. And you having children, being a monarchy, being a king, means that you're going to have a dynasty. You're going to have a security for your children and family. And any faithful Israelite living during the time of David and Solomon, would have been able to see that God's promises had not yet been fulfilled because David's sons, Absalom and Amnon, they were not the promised sons who would rule this kingdom in faithfulness and righteousness. And like all of the Old Testament kings, if you know anything about Solomon, he is far from perfect. He is far from perfect. And despite his wisdom, Solomon actually ends up acting very foolishly, and his kingdom is, is pretty much crippled in the end. And so to be a, a, a someone who follows God and a faithful Israelite, you, you had to have been wondering, there must be some greater king who is coming, who will reign on David's throne forever in faithfulness, in righteousness, a king who's actually going to bring rest to his people. A king that will guard Jerusalem, who will build a house, who will build a city, a a new Jerusalem, like is being promised in 2 Samuel 7, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So, yes, David's son is going to build the Lord a house. He's going to build the temple. But the Lord is going to build David a much, much greater house, a house of greater importance. He's going to build him a Davidic dynasty with the Davidic king. Jesus Christ, who's the Messiah. And Christ is going to sit on the throne forever, and he is going to reign in justice and, and faithfulness and righteousness. So this house, first of all, it has to do with Jesus being David's, David and Solomon's descendant, who's going to ro- rule on the throne forever. And the the feeling of security and rest in this psalm it comes through this this messiah through jesus christ he is going to provide the security he provides the security for all of us but who does he provide the security for and that's point number three that this house is built of offspring or it's built of children now the psalm i don't know if you noticed but the, the first two verses in in verses three through five it kind of almost seems like two separate poems it It's kind of hard to see how they fit together. And, you know, almost all the commentators say they're two separate poems. But we've seen hints through the play on words, first with house and second with offspring. And and when we bring in what what 2 Samuel 7 says about this psalm, I think we can see that it is a unity and one part can't stand apart from the other. So we're going to go into that a little bit more. So the, the second word player theme is that of children and offspring in verses 3 through 5. And so how does the first part relate to the second part? H- how does house in verses 1 and 2 and offspring, children in 3 th- through 5 relate to each other? And we've seen that the answer is that the house that God builds is built of children. It's built of offspring, first of all. It's the physical offspring, the descendant of David and Solomon, Jesus Christ. And then, second of all, the spiritual offspring of, of Christ, which is Christians, his church. Um, look at verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, he shall not be put to shame. When he speaks with his enemy in the gate. Now to to understand this theme of offspring in the psalm, we need to have a little more information on the importance of children in the Old Testament. So, first of all, children in the Old Testament, it's very different than the way we think. But children provided security in ancient Israel. I don't know about any of you, but I'm not having my daughters so that for security, so that they'll protect me. I don't I don't know about you. So this, this does, it, admittedly, it's, it's a little bit foreign. And city symbolizes community security, which is a necessary framework for family security. But all of this security in the Old Testament world was dependent on children. I know it's foreign. Um, and it's hard to understand this. But in the Old Testament, dying childless – It meant not only physical death, but it actually meant potentially being cut off from God's blessing. It was called being blotted out of Israel. So offspring were actually central to maintaining the blessing for your family, God's blessing on your family. And so that explains the tragedy of dying as a virgin or as a eunuch or a dying baron. We've noticed these things, but they are definitely a little bit foreign. All three of these, virgins, eunuchs, barren, they were all three potentially cut off from the blessing of God, from the blessing of the people of God. Um, so here we start to see the meaning and significance of the psalm in its relation to the person and work of Jesus. How has Jesus changed how we understand just an Old Testament scripture? And house in verse 1? Point, it first of all, points to Jesus, and second of all, it points to Christ, the King who actually dies on the cross, and out of that creates children. And you, you and I, you know, we're not as afraid of famine. Or I don't know how many of you have been really worried about somebody invading your city. Or even somebody invading your home, in this world it was much more of a threat. Um, But for us, I don't know about you, but you know, death runs in my family, and it probably runs in yours as well. Okay, so all of us actually, all of us actually, one day will face the thing, the things that this scripture is talking about—true threat, true judgment. We will all stand before God. And the the safety that this is talking about, the safety that this um, is being provided for God's people in this house, in this city, this new Jerusalem, it comes through being in a relationship of trust and love with, with Jesus Christ. So in the Old Testament, there was this constant threat of being cut off from blessing and security For God's people, and this included dying as a virgin or a eunuch or a dying baron. But right now, um, I know this is a little bit, some of this has been foreign, but right now in Isaiah, some of the things we're a little bit more understanding of, we're going to see right now. And in Isaiah, a turn starts to occur that anticipates the New Testament, that fulfills this in jesus and it tells us how you and i can find security and safety today we're told in isaiah 7 that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son in chapter 9 isaiah makes the hope even more explicit and he says for, un, for to us a child is born for to us a son is given and this son this offspring is going to reign on the throne of david forever But the critical point in Isaiah happens in chapter 53 at verse 10 with the description of the suffering servant. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but here Isaiah writes, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he will see his offspring. He will see his children. So when the Messiah, when Jesus dies, he will see... When he suffers, he will see his children. He will see his offspring. But these are not physical offspring, clearly. And we know this because the servant's generation in in Isaiah 53, verse 8, they considered him cursed, cut off, dying as someone without descendants, without children. He was cursed, cut off, out of the land of the living. The curse that uh, a barren person, a eunuch, or... um, a virgin would, would suffer. And those he's cut off for, those he suffers for, become his children. So this blessing comes not through having your own children, but through the offspring promised to David, promised to Abraham, promised to David, promised to Solomon, the offspring who is God. This blessing comes through Jesus Christ. And his followers are his promised offspring. We, you may be familiar with First uh, Peter. First Peter two four says, "And you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men." Isaiah fifty three, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. And it's wonderful. And amazing then that we see a turn immediately on the the heels of Isaiah 53, of the suffering servant, what follows. Have you ever noticed what follows? It's the song of the barren woman in Isaiah 54, the one who did not bear physical children and was therefore in jeopardy of being cut off from future blessing. This barren woman now sings because her children are more than the children... Of the woman who is married and so this promise this promise that you will not be put to shame in the city gate a picture of the law court um, the the business in society took took place at the city gate it was like a law court people could bring accusation accusation against you so this this promise that you will not be put to shame in the gate um, this picture of, of military battle, of, of offspring possessing the gate of his enemies, this is speaking primarily about Christ and his church. And the Lord Jesus, he has promised he will possess the gate of his enemy. and that He will destroy the power of Satan completely when he returns. The one who could accuse us In court, the one who actually wants to destroy us if he could. Jesus, Jesus, in dying on the cross, has protected his children. And he is going to build his church. He is building his church. And the gates of hell, this psalm tells us, will not prevail against it. So, in conclusion, I actually want to drop a few applications on you and a few thoughts that I think from this psalm can really encourage us. So first of all, 1 um, John chapter 3 says, Behold, the man, what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And we can't be reminded of this too much. My first daughter, Zoe Abigail, Zoe means life. And Abigail means her father delights. And we named her that because fathers delight in their girls, fathers delight in their sons. And so, what this is telling us is God has called us his children. And so, it should remind us um, of just the extravagant love God has for us that he would call us children. And if we are God's children, and we are, then we do not need to be anxious about anything. We can trust him and seek him and seek his kingdom first and seek his righteousness if we have a loving father. Um, Third, if God really cares about building his church, and he does, then we need to have a clear idea of what this house is, what this church is, That he's building, and in a culture where we say, I'm going to church, and we mean the building, and this is a beautiful building. But um, the church in the scriptures is the people. And so God is building his church, and he loves his people. He does not care about buildings, buildings will not last, but he loves his church, he loves his people. And um, fourth of all, children are a wonderful gift from the Lord. But this psalm also points us to be spiritual fathers and mothers to our children, which is is not always easy. But do we care more that our children are smart or good-looking or that they get into a good college or that they are successful by the world standards? Or do we care more, actually, that our children love Christ and love his church, love his people, actually. Um, fifth, again, physical children are wonderful. I delight in my girls. but and, and, and it's no coincidence that Christians often have the largest families. But Psalm 127 also points out that as much a blessing as children are, um, it should also point us to the fulfillment of, of desiring spiritual children. Paul in Galatians and Thessalonians, he he talks about himself as a nursing mother and a loving father to, to other Christians. So we should actually desire. We should look at family as each other. And we should desire. We should come on Sundays to encourage each other. And we should desire spiritual children. And then sixth, um, it is definitely true that this psalm encourages us that no matter what we do, we should trust God in it. Um, we can build ministries, businesses, buildings, but if we don't trust God, the labor will be in vain. We are definitely warned from this psalm, and you know, you look at Solomon in his own wisdom; he built very foolishly. Both his physical and spiritual buildings um, ended up. I mean, his whole kingdom became a ruin because of his foolish living, Um, not the least of he he taxed his people heavily and had thousands of um, women. So Solomon, he didn't live up to the knowledge that he knew. And so I would pray as Christians that we would actually live up to what we understand, that God would give us that strength. And then um, the next point. You can either build dependent on God or you can live life and build independent of God. And that will actually uh, affect what you end up building, what you end up living for. So what house is God building? What house is God building? And then ninth, the last point, consider Jesus. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the builder of the house. And if we do not consider him, and Rest in him. We we will build in vain. So Hebrews chapter 3 consider Jesus who was faithful to him Who appointed him just as Moses also with Faithful in God's house for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of the house Has more honor than the house itself For every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God And we are this house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Amen. Let's let's pray and ask for God's help that we would live up to what we understand. Father, we thank You for the cross. We thank You that Jesus has made a way for us to approach you, a holy God. We thank you that in your love you sent Christ, and in his love for us he suffered for his church, that he would have many children. And Father, we pray um, that you would continue to work in us. I pray that um, you would bless Jacob's well, make them a church that loves the church, that loves each other, Um, I thank you for the men's retreat and and these type of things that uh, the community groups that build relationships, Father, continue to knit these people together. I pray that this church would grow in greater love, that they would encourage each other to love you more. And um, in doing that, that their relationships as children, that they will love each other. Father, I know that we are family, and I thank you um, for my partnership in the gospel with um, these brothers and sisters. I pray that you would bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.